you know, a good marriage does not just happen, and neither does a bad marriage. Regardless of where your marriage ends, there is a process for getting there. A good marriage, bad marriage, there are steps to take. In this podcast, I want to talk about four steps to divorce. The title of the podcast is Episode 139, Four Steps from Dating to Divorce. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you would like to read the show notes, we have them for you. I have a skeletal outline of what I'm going to share with you in this podcast as I walk through all four steps. And this is an infographic that I'm going to be explaining to you. And so if you have the time, go to rickthomas.net. Look for the Life Over Coffee series, episode 139, Four Steps from Dating to Divorce. And you can take a look at this infographic. It will be helpful. I also have some materials here that will benefit you, especially, well, if you are married, regardless of where your marriage is. If your marriage is in a great spot, let's make it better. If your marriage is not in a good place or not going heading to a good place, then these resources are for you as well. One of them is our or my book on communication, the shortest book that I've written, I believe. It's called Redeeming Talk Trouble. There's a link here where you can access that book. I also have a 31-day marriage devotional that I would encourage you to get so you can spend 31 days. Now, if you want to, you could skip every other day or just do the devotional three times a week or four times, whatever your pace of life is. It's a 31-day devotional, but it could be that you get so involved in your conversation with each other or one topic just resonates so much that you want to spend more time talking about it, then take your time. It's not about getting through the devotional. It's about making the most of it. If it takes you six months, if it takes you a year to work through the devotional, as long as you're working at it systematically and consistently, regularly, plowing through it and applying and talking excellent communication, and then the time frame is not relevant. You have the rest of your lives, but what you always want to be doing is consistently working on your marriage. And if this 31-day devotional can provide a template for you to do that, then use it as a template and take however many days that you need. And then I have a third book here called Centering Your Marriage on Christ. It is a workbook. These are my conference notes for a conference that I uh, led in Alaska a few months ago this year. Uh, Chris O'Donnell, one of our team members and graduates of our Mastermind program, said this is her favorite of our, all of our marriage books. I like it, too, and it is excellent. It's a workbook, a lot of handy tips, ideas, questions. It's something that you can really sink your marriage into and and benefit from. And so I have these resources here that goes with this podcast and then, as always, because everybody's in a different spot, if you have questions that you want to ask, we have forums available to you, free public forums for anybody in the world who has access to the Internet. Then we have supporting member forums. Those are more private forums for those who support our ministry. I would encourage you, well, one, to support our ministry, and then two, get on our supporting private forums and ask your questions there. I know that no podcast and no article will 
ever be exhaustive, as in it covers every possible angle to the situation that it is talking about. There's always different perspectives, different angles, different situations. Everybody's in a different place, even though we could be struggling with similar things, and so you need somebody to talk to. Our ministry is a reciprocal ministry. It's a dialogue ministry, not a monologue ministry. And so if that's going to happen, if we're going to dialogue, then you have to do your part. And so come to our website and and jump on our links here, the drop downs in the navigation bar, and you'll see the forums. And if you don't have a username and password, of course, make that, create that. And that will be yours. It will be uniquely you. And that will help us so that we don't have bots and spam coming to our website. So if you would do that, then we'd be glad to interact with you. But jump on our forums and be sure to take a look at this infographic. Perhaps you have another question that you want to ask. This is what Life Over Coffee is about. This is the podcast where I deal with your questions. People will write in and say, hey, would you do a podcast on this subject? I would love to hear a 30-minute audio podcast on this idea, and they lay it out for me. And if you would like for me to consider your situation, whatever it may be, just lay it out for me. Say, hey, here's the deal, and I would love to hear 30 minutes. It's really like a a counseling session of sorts where you can just ask and receive the help that you need. And then, of course, after the podcast, like what I'm appealing to you to do here, you can get on our forums and say, thank you for the podcast. Thank you for dealing with my question. Now let's take it a little further. What about this? This is what I was thinking when you were saying that. So can you help me to understand? Can you work through this Uh, this part of it, or however it may work out for you. And so Life Over Coffee is the podcast for you. I don't know what these podcasts are going to be from week to week or month to month. It depends on who's writing and who's asking, and I love that. When I do my conferences, it's one of the things that I appeal to the people who are heading up the conference. Make make at least a portion of the conference to be Q&A question and answer, because I want to know what people are thinking. I don't want to go in and just blow blow in, blow up, and blow out. I want to go in and, and teach, but I want to make sure that we're hitting the nail on the head, and I won't know that unless you interact with me. And that's why I strongly appeal to folks who are leading the conference to make sure we have Q&A. I love Q&A, and that's what our website is about. Let's jump into this podcast, episode 139, 139, Four Steps from Dating to Divorce. A good marriage doesn't just happen, and neither does a bad marriage. I typically counsel couples who have been married for five years or less or 15 years or more. Did you know that? In all the years that I've been counseling, I mean, there are some folks between five and 15 years, of course. But typically, it's, it's couples, young couples that have been married five years or less, or couples who have been married 15 years or more. If they don't get help for their growing problems, B.C., before children, and they become too busy to deal with them. I know teenagers think that they're busy, and young adults think that they're busy. And even young married couples without children think that they're busy. 
and then they have children. So from the time that you hit the teenage years, your life continues to accelerate and it gets busier and busier and busier as more component parts come into your life. I don't like calling children component parts, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And so if you've been married, let's say five years or less, and you don't have children, I would appeal to you. I had a couple come to me a few years ago, and they said, we've been married for a few years, and we don't really have any problems. And that was a true statement, by the way. But they said, we just want to do preventative maintenance. Those are my words, not theirs, but that's what they were asking. And then a year later, they came in for a tune-up, and they weren't having any problems. They just wanted to meet and talk. They wanted to meet with somebody. That, that has only happened with that couple. It's only happened one time. Most people don't do that. It was an amazing thing, and I was so encouraged. I'd never forgotten what they said to me and what they were looking for in counseling. It was kind of weird, to be honest with you. Five years or less, hey, let's talk about our marriage. We're doing okay, but I'd just like to do some, we would like to do some things preventatively. But if you don't get the help in five years or less, life will pick up. You will get busier. At the 15-year mark, now that's an arbitrary number, by the way. It could be 10 years, 15, 20 years. But at the 15-year mark, my arbitrary number here, their children are more independent. And all the problems that they have ignored, that the couple has ignored for many years now, are front and center. It's not unusual to hear of a couple married for 30 or more years getting a divorce. Someone would come and say, hey, man, they've been married for 35 years and they got a divorce. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. Yes, I do believe that. It happens all the time. There is a reason that a person goes from dating to divorce, divorce at the 35-year mark or 30-year mark or whatever. There's a reason that they do that, and I want to walk through those four steps, and that's what this podcast discusses. So let's just take them right in order. Step number one, step two, step three, and step four. Let me give them to you, and then we will get inside of them. And hopefully, if you can get on episode 139, you'll look at this infographic and you'll see it uh, visually displayed but step one is their unique fallenness before they ever meet as a dating couple step two is the dating season and so you have these uniquely fallen individuals step one who meet each other they start dating step two step number three they get married uh, married and then step number four is the empty nest as I was describing as 15 years and on. Now, 15 years is not empty nest in the, in the uh, most technical sense, but it's where things are shifting as far as time and responsibility, where children are more independent and parents have different kind of time allotments. And then it's not unusual if they haven't dealt with their pre-existing issues for them to get a divorce. But I'll talk about that. So step four is empty nest. Step three is marriage. Step two is the dating season. Step number one, unique fallenness. Every person is totally depraved. This is a, a $5 theological term. I like to say that every person is totally depraved and every person is is or every individual is uniquely fallen. There's a difference between total depravity and unique fallenness. 
Total depravity does not mean you are as bad as you can possibly be. That's not what total depravity means. What it, what it says is you are corrupt through and through. There's no part of your being, your organic being, your physical self, or your non-organic, your spiritual self that is untouched by fallenness. You are fallen through and through, whether it's your physical body or your spiritual being. You are totally, thoroughly, entirely, completely depraved. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you are as bad as you can possibly be. It does mean that you are capable of being worse than you are now because you're totally depraved. We know people who have given themselves over to their depravity, and people like Hitler, for example, or some other dictators that you've read about in the news. These are individuals who are fulfilling, trying to fulfill the capacity of total depravity. Mercifully, you're not like that. I'm not like that by the grace of God. We are trying to resist sin. We're, we're trying to resist being as bad as we could possibly be. But some people give themselves over. Some people God give over to that because they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And you can read a declaration of that in Romans chapter 1. And so we're totally dep- depraved. We are corrupt through and through. And so we have the potentiality of being uh, bad people. But then we are also uniquely fallen. Everybody comes into the world different, differently. Because of the mysteries of Adam and your shaping influences, those are the two primary things that make us uniquely fallen, meaning that you are a unique fallen person, different from the next person that you know, even different from your sibling if you have a sibling Every parent with more than one child sees the fallen differences in their children. They see how their depravity works out uniquely because no two children sin the same way or have the same fears or uh, the internal workings of their souls. Every child is different because they are uniquely fallen. And I also mentioned the the mysteries of Adam, as I was talking about the unique fallenness of children being different from others. But there there are inclinations within us, is what I'm saying, with this idea of the mysteries of our Adamic fallenness. We have proclivities that we're tempted in certain ways. Now, I'm not saying what I'm about to say. I'm not saying it as a, a bragging point, but I am saying, let me say it this way, I'm not tempted with alcohol. For example, alcohol does not tempt me at all. I have no desire for it. Now, I'm not saying that in a bragging sense. I don't mean it that way. But I know that there are other people that really just have uh, it's a strong temptation in their lives. I mean, I could jump into a swimming pool full of alcohol, take three swallows, get out, and keep on walking, and, and really just have no desire for it whatsoever. It's just not how I am wired in my unique fallenness in the mysteries of Adam there's some people that need to stay away from that swimming pool. And so, and this is why I'll say sometimes, you know, the, the, the gay guy will say that I was born that way. Well, that's probably true. That's possibly true that he was born that way, that he has a desire for or she has a desire for same-sex attraction. I don't. Maybe you don't. 
But we want to be careful now that we're not comparing ourselves with each other. Just because my unique fallenness is different from your unique fallenness, it doesn't mean that I'm better or worse than the next person. It just means I'm uniquely fallen. Everybody comes into this world differently. Then there are shaping influences. Now, after we get into this world, we are shaped like a piece of clay. We're molded and shaped, and there's all kinds of shaping influences. Some obvious things are your parents. Your parents shape you, help shape you into the kind of person that you are. Siblings, if you have them. Your community experience with individuals or the community that you live in, the culture, education. Genetics is a shaping influence, obviously. Personal disappointments are a strong shaping influence in your life. Academic training There are so many things. It's whatever you have interacted with or whatever has interacted with you throughout your life has brought some kind of shape to who you are as a person. What I'm saying here is that every person brings total depravity and unique fallenness into their dating relationship. And it's important when two couple, when two people meet that they understand that they are uniquely fallen individuals and there are things that have happened to them and there are ways that they are that make them who they are. And if you don't uh, set on a course of talking about these things and continuing to to unravel the mysteries of who you are and the why you do what you do, what you'll do is you'll get married and then there will be a huge surprise. And so the title of the podcast, episode 139, Four Steps from Dating to Divorce. Step number one, unique fallenness. Step number two, the dating season. I've said at other times the dating season is an artificial season where two people can fake out each other by not revealing their entire selves until after marriage. By not exposing the crucial aspects of themselves, they set up their future marriage to be disappointing. We want to be blind, especially when we start liking somebody. We want to be blind to the darker sides of, side of their lives. And that's a dangerous thing. Now, someone may ask, is it wise for a person to tell his girlfriend everything that he's thinking? Is it wise for a person to tell his wife everything that he's thinking? Well, my answer to that question is no and yes. I can't answer the question in the black and white way in which it's being asked. For example, at the beginning of my relationship with my with Lucia, my wife, when we were dating during the dating season, which is what we're talking about here, there were many things that I did not tell her. I did not tell her that I thought she was hot. Uh, that would not be that would not. Hi, my name is Rick. What's your name, Lucia? Lucia, I think you're hot. I don't think that's wise. You shouldn't say that. I do tell her that now. Relationships began with discretion and ignorance. The reason I didn't tell her that she was hot is because it's using discretion. You do not say everything you're thinking about another person to another person. That's discretion. You want to do that with individuals. You do not know all that can be known about the other person. Now, that's ignorance. And so there's discretion where you put a governor on your tongue when you're entering into a relationship. And then there's ignorance, just the fact that you don't know all that can be known about another individual. But strong relationships cross both of these barriers, discretion and ignorance. As you move closer to each other, you learn more about each other. You're also less discreet. 
And what I mean by less discreet is you're revealing more of yourself to the other person. A good marriage should always be moving toward oneness, which cannot happen without honesty and transparency. No relationship is static. We're either moving toward unity or we're moving away from it. Either we're moving toward more in-depth community or we are not. The implication of the word community expects communication that is growing progressively deeper and more transparent. And so you don't so when you sit, when a person asks should I reveal everything that I'm thinking to another individual the answer is yes and no. In the beginning of the relationship you don't. You're learning the relationship, you want to uh, live out discretion. Of course there's ignorance in play, you don't know everything is to know about the other person. The real question that you have to ask yourself is do I want to be honest? Do I want to be transparent? And what am I doing to be more honest and transparent with this person? And this should be happening in the daily dating relationship because you are uniquely fallen, step one. And you want this other person to know more and more and more about you, especially if this relationship is going somewhere like marriage. And so there is step one, we're uniquely fallen. Step two, the dating season, which is so crucial that we're becoming more and more transparent during this season. Then step three is marriage. If the couple is not growing in transparency and honesty, they will become distracted once marriage happens, and marriage, it, it will further hinder their communication. It will further hinder their need to mature together. I said earlier that I know teenagers think they're busy. Young adults think they're busy. But when you get married, things are going to pick up exponentially. And if you haven't set the pace, if you haven't established the baseline that we're going to have, we're going to grow in transparency and honesty, marriage, you're going to be distracted and you're going to be busy. Now, two of those distractions are work and children. Those are the two most common distractions within a marriage. The man will become busy with his job, as will the wife, whether she works outside or inside the home, whether she's a stay-at-home mom or she works outside the home and not a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter. There's no biblical mandate on what she does in that regard, but the truth is both of them will have jobs wherever they are, and those jobs will be keep them very busy, and then there will be children, maybe children, and when children come, it will compound the freneticness of their lives. It'll get crazy. I, I was telling somebody this week about when uh, Lucia and I, when we were before children, BC, we used to read books to each other. Actually, I read books to her. We had a genre, a mystery genre that we liked reading. And I would do the reading because if she read to me, I would fall asleep. When I read to her, she doesn't fall asleep. So it worked out that way, and that was fine. So I did all the reading. And there were many nights that we sat up and just read and read and read, and we would go to these used bookstores to see if we could find them on the cheap and get the entire series from this mystery genre. We had time to do that. And then children came. Praise God. But things got real busy, and that's what will happen in the marriage. And if you haven't set up this idea of honesty, transparency, communication during the dating season, and you're incrementally 
becoming less discreet, as in you're being more honest with each other about your real selves, and you're growing in your awareness, you're less ignorant about each other, and you're working through these new revelations that you're finding out about each other, you have a good trajectory set. But if you haven't done these things, if you're not doing these things, and then marriage kicks in, you'll probably put these things aside. And what will happen is you won't have a sin plan in place. A sin plan is a way of interacting with the sins that will inevitably come up between you. A sin plan is no different than a medical plan. When something physical happens to you, you have a way of responding to that physical problem. But if you don't have a sin plan, a way of responding to your sin, uh, then what will happen is you'll just bump along in your marriage, moderately getting along, even doing many Christian things like serving God in ministry. How many Christians are serving God in ministry and have miserable marriages? That is a terrible thing. It's one of the worst kinds of testimonies that you can have. I'm not saying that you should stop serving in ministry, but I'm saying you need to do what you got to do to get your marriage right because it is hypocritical and it will have an adverse effect on your family. It grieves the spirit. It quenches the spirit of God. I'm not saying that your marriage should be perfect. I'm saying that you should have a plan activated in your marriage to make it better than what it is if it's bumping along and both of you are not where you need to be with Christ. We're not talking about perfection here. But we're talking about a pattern of mutually working together in your sanctification. If you're not doing that, you need to do that. Because once these distractions go away, you're going to be faced with each other, and it's going to be problematic. And that's step number four. I call it the empty nest. Step one is unique fallenness. Step two, two people coming together in the dating season. Step three, marriage and the distractions we create and the busyness that comes between us to where we don't work on our problems. Step four, the empty nest. Once their children hit the teen years, the parents' time allotments will change. By the time the children go to college, if they choose college or leave home, whenever that may be, the parents will be left, for the most part, with themselves. Now, at that point, they have four options. They can get a divorce. They can endure to the end. I'm not suggesting a divorce, by the way. I'm just saying this is what happens. They get a divorce. They endure to the end, they find help, or they pray for grandchildren and hobbies so they can fill their lives back up with anything other than each other. And this happens so often in so many Christian marriages, and it's awfully sad. This is episode 139, Four Steps from Dating to Divorce. If you're interested in more information about this, I'll give you four things to do. Get my book on redeeming talk trouble. Get my book, 31 Day Marriage Devotional. Get my book, Centering Your Marriage on Christ. And then come to us and ask questions that you may have so that we can help you. I wholeheartedly appeal to you to find help if your marriage is not in the right place. If you're heading into the children age, you're early in your marriage and You have children, but they're young, or you're about to have children, and if you do not have a sin plan, I strongly urge you to get help now before life becomes busier, because it will, and you'll become so busy, and it'll be like carpal tunnel syndrome, repetitive repetitive trauma, 
where you and your spouse, you do the same thing over and over and over again, and it will just wear you down, and, and you won't even see it like a frog in the kettle that is being, the, the, the temperature of the kettle is being elevated, and the frog doesn't even realize it until it's boiled to death. It will be so incremental and so slow and so subtle. The, the annoyances, the sin, the uh, arguments that you have with each other, it'd be accumulative trauma until you get to the 15-year mark, 20-year mark, and you'd be so discouraged and so hopeless that you see no other option but to get a divorce. I wholeheartedly appeal to you to find help if your marriage is not in the right place especially for those of you who are in early marriage. It's so much easier to fix these things at the beginning of your marriage than 20 years down the road when your heart is hard, uh, heart is hard and you're bitter and frustrated with how your marriage is. Let us know how we can serve you. This is what we do. This is what we do all day long. Take a look at the infographic on our website. Read these materials. Read over the show notes that I've just presented to you. Assess your marriage. If you're able to talk to your spouse about this, you're in a good place. But I'm aware that many marriages, the husbands and wives, won't talk about this because of so much of whatever happened has come between them. They're already at that place where the disunity is so deep that they can't talk. I appeal, even if it's just one of you, come, let us advise you. It would be our joy to do so. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.